How is the Russian invasion of Ukraine impacting organic crop prices? Ryan Corey of Makaris breaks down the effects of the ongoing conflict. From organic crop shortages to the presence of missile waste material in certified organic acres. Ryan also discusses the current state of the organic market in countries as varied as India, Argentina, and Canada. Welcome to Organics Unpacked, a podcast for the business-minded organic grower, where we hear from top experts in the commercial organic industry. With a focus on the business elements of organic growing, both in and out of the field, you will gain insight and grow your operation. This show is brought to you by Ave Organics, a Wilbur Ellis company. Here's our host, Tom Buman. Today I have with me Ryan Corey, Vice President of Economics with uh, Macaris. And so Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me on again. Absolutely. So Ryan, this is the third time you've been on and each time uh, prices for uh, our organic um, row crops uh, really, really vary. So where are we at uh, today? Yeah, you know, as we're looking at just moving into May, we're looking at a market for organic feed grade soybeans where you know, prices delivered to elevators across the U.S. Corn Belt are averaging just a little bit below $40 per bushel. We're seeing contracts really kind of in the 38 to maybe 42, but on average, just slightly below 40. And then if you look at where corn is, corn is operating a little bit bigger spread at the moment you know, relative to corn prices, but you're looking at somewhere between 10 and $11 per bushel delivered. Okay. So uh, going back to the, the soybeans, I assume this is the highest ever we've seen for prices for organic soybeans? Indeed. And, you know, the rate of price gain that we've seen over the past year and a half has been pretty phenomenal. If you think back to where we were, say, in September of 2019, 2020, 2020, I got to get my calendar year straight. It's been a couple of them. Uh, we were looking at a market where we were afraid soybean prices were going to dip. We were thinking they're going to be around $18 per bushel. And then starting last year and going through this year now, you know, we've seen prices that have more than doubled over the past year and a half. They've grown pretty substantially. So I'm guessing at that $40 mark, nobody really has savings to sell, right? You know, it's an interesting marketing environment right now when it comes to soybeans. The reason that we're seeing prices elevate to the level that they are now is a shortage within the market, a shortage of oil seeds in general, but the shortage comes from uh, a loss of organic soybean meal imports. Now, with that shortage, you're absolutely right. It's making it a very challenging market to find people who are willing to part with soybeans. There are, you know, conversations I've had you can find them in drips and drabs here in the U.S., but there's not many left. Um, and then if you look at foreign markets, you know, imports historically have played a pretty large role in filling up the U.S. organic soybean supply picture. And with those markets also, you know, there, there are challenges, whether you're looking at the Black Sea region, uh, the issues with Ukraine and Russia, or you look at the shift in organic trade patterns and policies with India and how that's impacting the picture. So both domestically and globally, it's, it's a challenging situation right now to find organic soybeans. Supply. So let's dive into a couple of those regions more in depth. Uh, obviously, we know what's happening in Russia and Ukraine, but What's the impact on the organic market? What's kind of uh, causing things to move there? Yeah, you know, looking specifically at the Russia-Ukraine situation, 
it hits on a few fronts. You know, directly, we import a fair amount of organic soybeans and soybean meal from Ukraine and Russia uh, directly. Also, you know, we import things like canola and sunflower, which in a market in which you have tight soybean supplies, those would become substitutes. And so by impacting the ability to import those also, you're further tightening the overall oil seed picture within the United States, which is adds additional pressure. But you know, maybe taking a step farther and looking beyond their border specifically, it disrupts trade within the whole Black Sea region. So when you look at countries like Romania, uh, it makes it more difficult to get sources from there. And then if you look at somewhere like Turkey, you know, Turkey is one of our largest suppliers. It's our largest, almost our only supplier of organic cracked corn, as well as soybean meal and some other products that we import from there. But a lot of the product that gets exported from Turkey isn't from Turkish grown crops. It's imported from other Black Sea countries, including Russia and Ukraine, and then processed. And so, you know, we get knock on effects in terms of having logistics within the Black Sea in general be challenged. And then places like Turkey not being able to source throughput to produce the goods that they would generally export to the US. So it makes the supply picture from that whole region challenging. Yeah. So, What's kind of the, do you have a future view, I mean, of, um, is the planting getting done in Ukraine? I mean, is this going to be a one-year issue, assuming that we find some level of peace there, or is this going to be a, an ongoing issue? Yeah, you know, I think for the current year, it's as much of a black box as it is for the conventional sector. I was reading something the other day that the anticipation is for about 70% of what Ukraine would normally be planted would get planted this year. Um, in the organic sector, I know anecdotally that a lot of those organic production, no, those organic operations are located farther to the east, which puts them more in the path of combat. And so you could see additional restrictions on their ability to plant this year. And then, you know, even if you think beyond planting, it's a matter of getting it out of the country. A lot of what's leaving Ukraine right now, oh, well, not a lot, but virtually anything that can leave Ukraine right now or might be leaving Ukraine later on this year, probably isn't going out by port. It's being shipped by rail and truck into Europe and then out through European ports. So those things aren't likely to change. And those are bigger impacts that kind of go across agriculture in general. But if we think about organics specifically, you know, we're in a little bit more of a sensitive situation because it's not just a matter of being able to get in and plant fields. It's a matter of being able to get in and certify and plant fields. And so if you are unable to certify your land organic for production this year, whether that be because you have no certifiers to come operate in that space, or perhaps you had combat on your fields and now you have waste material from missiles and whatever else, that are in your field. Does that prohibit you from ever becoming certified organic again? Wow. And then thinking about this, maybe another step, say you were a certified organic producer in Ukraine and you've had to leave. Coming back and restarting and becoming certified organic again, are there greater disincentives to not come back and go back into that production method, given all the challenges? You know, it's, it's a much bigger lift and a much more difficult situation for someone who is certified and or certified organic in Ukraine to plant this year, not just this year, but thinking about next year, than it is for anyone else in Ukraine to come in and, and resume production. 
So Ryan, when it comes to um, imports of soybeans that we're bringing into the U.S., what percent is coming from that region of soybeans? I don't have that number right offhand. I know it's not inconsequential, you know, and when you look at imports, you know, we do import a bit of soybeans from there. There, you know, Argentina is really our largest supplier. Argentina and Canada tend to be our largest supplier of soybeans. Um, but we do get some soybeans from Turkey or from Ukraine, rather. Okay. Uh, we also get them from Russia. Okay. But, you know, it, it's some of these other things like canola and sunflower where, you know, they make up about 20, Ukraine specifically, made up about 20% of our imports of canola and sunflower last year. And so, you know, it, it's kind of across the whole oil seed complex that feeds into. Okay. So let's hop someplace else in the world. What's, what's happening in India and organic soybeans? Yeah, you know, India is just as challenging, but for different reasons. And, you know, the kind of the story on India really begins uh, at the beginning of 2021. You know, we had the USDA, they made the announcement that the NOP was ending its recognition agreement with India's APITA, which is essentially the regulatory body that oversees organic within India. Now, with that announcement, that announcement didn't have immediate impacts. When the USDA made that announcement, they essentially provided an 18-month runway for operations within India to recertify. Essentially, so long as you began recertification by July 12th of last year, you had until July 12th of this year to complete recertification. So long as you made those deadlines, you were able to continue to export to the United States. So it didn't have any immediate impact on the ability for India to export. But it wasn't, that's not the only factor that occurred. We also had the U.S.'s OSPA. They went through with the Department of Commerce and did an investigation in India, which that investigation ultimately determined that soybean meal exports from India were being unfairly subsidized relative to the U.S. market. And the results of that investigation are essentially that for the majority of Indian soybean meal exporters, they will be facing a tariff rate of close to 300% for soybean meal that they'll be exporting to the US. Then we also had the situation in which in October of last year, APITA, you know, and this was in response to actions by the European Union, the EU blacklisted five organic certifiers out of India due to contamination issues. Well, following the EU's blacklisting, APITA went in and they did a, they essentially suspended the operations of four, uh, or suspended the certification ability of four operators and gave a full year, one year suspension to all activity of another. So what that meant was in the short term, it became very difficult to find certified organic goods to come out of India because of the loss of their certification authority. But also, Thinking back to the January announcement in which you had to begin recertification, had you, you know, pursued recertification through one of those five certifiers, you were pretty much dead in the water at that point. You would have to pursue a new avenue to find recertification, which now makes it very unlikely that they'll meet the July 12th deadline of this year. And so you add those factors on top of the fact that most of what we export out of India is container. And containers are very challenging to get and they're a very expensive way to ship right now. It's just issues on top of issues on top of issues, you know, 
soybean meal specifically with the tariffs has become very cost prohibitive to import those into the U.S. But if you think about something like soybeans, which aren't impacted by those tariffs, it's just very challenging to find supplies and containers that are able to get out of India to the U.S. So traditionally, how much how much of our organic soybeans have come out of India? A large amount, you know, prior to last year, I would say on average about 40 to 45% of our organic soy supply was in the form of uh, soybean meal imports from India. It, it, it was not an inconsequential amount. So Ryan, we've talked about uh, kind of the Black Sea region. We've talked about India. Uh, Argentina is another quite a big producer traditionally of organic soybeans. Where are we there? Yeah, soybeans as well as corn and canola and sunflower. I mean, really, we're talking about all four crops being risked right now. You know, when we think about Argentina, the biggest risk that we have there is drought. We're in a period they're they're experiencing some pretty substantial drought. And there is risk of having reduced yields as a result. Now, I have had conversations with uh, some people who work on the production side in Argentina on the brokering, brokering side. And based on the conversations I've had with them, they feel confident that they'll have sufficient supplies to export this year. But, you know, relative to what could have been given the tight supply market that we have now, you know, any kind of cut in yield, just it, it doesn't help alleviate that supply position. Organics are in a little bit of a protected position with regard to the drought, because a lot of your organic production is a little bit to the west and in, in, in south of Buenos Aires, where more of the severe drought conditions are west and north. So it's a little bit below some of the worst drought, but there are areas that are gonna be impacted by drought. And so when we think about what Argentina will look like next year, it's a question of how much yield impact are we gonna get as a result of this drought? versus what kind of acreage expansion are we going to be getting this year? And, you know, the other thing with the drought is this is year two. They had a drought last year. And last year we saw a pretty substantial cut in their exports. So really we're hoping for a recovery this year, uh, more than just growth, but a recovery. Uh, and, you know, that, that would be, it, it's to be determined. We won't really start to see what that looks like until we get into around July and August. That's when the pace of imports from Latin America tends to pick up, you know, counter cyclical harvest periods. So it's, it's a big risk, not necessarily for the rest of this marketing year, because again, those supplies won't really show up until we get close to harvest, but it's really a question for this next marketing year. Okay. So are there kind of any, um, other places around the, the world that we should be thinking about when, especially when we're talking about soybean markets, are there, you know, what are the other places that, that we need to be aware of? Yeah, you know, the next biggest market is really Canada. And if you look at Canada over this past year, we've had a substantial 200% more increase in our imports of pretty much all organic goods from Canada. Corn is up, soybeans are up, soybean meal is up. Um, and, and so, you know, it, that's, that's been good. That's definitely helped alleviate some of the supply position in the United States. It's a question of how much can Canada ramp up acres again next year? You know, we're, we're not looking just for levels to stay the same, but we need some growth from imports next year to keep the market from tightening farther. And, you know, 
when we think about Canada, I've had some conversations with individuals who work on the brokerage side or who work on the elevator side in Canada. And in those markets, they're having challenges trying to find people to sign new crop contracts for this year. It's kind of a combination of elevated conventional prices, uh, and that's pulled some people back into the conventional sector. You know, they've Whenever conventional prices are where they're at, you know, you're looking at $17 U.S. for soybeans. And uh, I think, Tom, you said somewhere around $7 for conventional corn. That's a very profitable prospect in the conventional sector. And it creates an incentive for individuals who are in organics for the profit incentive to abandon that method of production. And so, you know, it's. And then the other part of why it's difficult to find contracts right now for new crop delivery is in the organic space, there's a lot of risk around where prices are going to be. You know, if you think about what happened last year, anybody who signed new crop contracts early, you know, back when soybean prices were knocking on $30 per bushel, you know, we were sitting around 25, 26, almost 30. And oh my gosh, and, you know, people were locking in contracts. You get around to harvest and then by December, they're hitting on 35, 38. So it's, you know, there's a lot of risk around where prices will be this harvest. And so that's creating a lot of incentive on the grower side of the market to delay signing contracts for new crop delivery. And so it's kind of hard to gauge exactly what their supply picture will look like. And again, coming back to, we're not just looking for sustain, but we're looking for growth in imports. It's a matter of finding markets where that's possible. And it's questionable how much Canada will be able to expand its production and how much it'll be able to expand its exports to the US next year. So Ryan, somebody kind of new to organics and is listening, I mean, thanks. Wow, I'll just get into organics. But as we've talked, you know, you've had the three-year certification mm-hmm. where you have to go. Um, and then, you know, it's hard. You have to get into a rotation and it's hard to just kind of change. But how much flexibility is there in the U.S. to respond to the shortage of organic grains and oils? Yeah, you know, there's a bit. Um, not as much as you can in the conventional sector, as you alluded to. You have things like rotations that you are beholden to because crop rotation is one of your principal tools for managing soil fertility and pest management. And so in the near term, you can deviate from rotations a bit, right? You know, I've had conversations with growers who are definitely looking at doing a soybean on soybean rotation. They did soybeans last year. They're looking at doing some kind of cover over the winter, whether it be vetch or rye or something that they can crimp down and have a, a biological mat that they can use for weed suppression and then put soybeans in again this year. Um, maybe indirectly answering that question, you know, one of the things that we've been trying to ascertain is just what kind of impact are we going to have on soybean acres due to these prices? And so, on, you know, in the organic space, we don't have all the nice uh, convenient tools that the USDA provides, right? We don't have a prospective planning report. We don't have an actual planning report. Uh, so to, to try to get a sense of where that number is going this year, you know, the exercise that we performed is we called and we spoke with people who work in organic seed sales. And speaking with those individuals, you know, what they indicated is, you know, it sounds like about a 20% increase in soybean acres is not out of the range of possibility this year. Some of the people we spoke to mentioned numbers as high as 40%, but I would say that's more of a deviation than the norm. Uh, but, you know, 
say we get a 20% expansion in acres. You know, last year we had a 19% expansion in acres. So another 20%, that's growth on growth. And so those are pretty robust acres expansion numbers. But the question becomes, say you pull that off, where those acres are gonna come in, they're going to be places where they weren't normally planned on being in an organic rotation. Mm -hmm. Or there'll be places where soybeans weren't profitable when they're $18 per bushel. And so what that means is you're gonna be disrupting rotations and which means you're gonna be having more weed issues and fertility issues, and that's likely to impact yields. Also, if you're putting these in on fallow acres or pasture acres, you know, places where you maybe you didn't think you would get as good a bang for your buck, you know, maybe you thought you would only get 25 bushels per acre, or 20 bushels per acre for soybeans. So at $18 a bushel, it doesn't make sense. At $40 a bushel, it does. These things expand acres, but they do it at the cost of yield. So even if we do pull off a 20%, 30% expansion in acres this year, because we're limited in terms of our chemical or our fertility and our pest management, it's likely to come at the impact of yields pretty substantially. And so we're not likely to materialize that full gain in production from that acreage expansion. Okay. Well, so um, on some of the other things, where are we at on, you know, obviously there is quite a margin between, you know, your typical commercial soybeans and organic soybeans, not quite as much as corn. Is there a reason for that or yeah. are we getting corn? You know, um, there's there's a lot of reasons for it. You know, the 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 axiom that I like to to kind of think about this is, you know, when we think about conventional organic prices and the spread between the two of them, you know, uh, the, 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 the thing I like to say is it makes about as much sense as thinking about the steak to ice cream price ratio. Yes, they both come from cattle. They are not related. They have fundamentally different supply and demand fundamentals, and they operate differently. You know, organic acres are organic acres, and they're not fungible with conventional. So from a production perspective, they're decoupled. Uh, from a demand side, you can't use conventional crops to feed organic livestock, and you're not going to sell organic crops to feed conventional livestock because you'll lose your price premium. Right. They have their own things. The premium between conventional and organic is driven by the unique things happening in those separate markets, not based on some fundamental relationship between the two. Now, with that, what that means is whatever's going on in these distinct markets allows the margins to change. So if you're comparing conventional soybeans to organic soybeans right now, you know, if you look at conventional soybeans, a lot of what's leading to the escalation in price, you know, and we're having knock-on effects from Ukraine, uh, but it began before that, you know, we're having a global tight, tightening supply on oil seeds and particularly uh, vegetable oils. You know, I just was reading the other day that Malaysia is banning the export of palm oil. Uh, global vegetable oil supplies are very tight and there's protectionism around it. And that's a escalating soybean prices. If you look at organic, it is a U.S. tight market. You know, we are the primary consumer of this good globally. And with the loss of India as a trade partner and then the onset of these other issues, the U.S. market is just very tight. It's U.S. centric. And so that's why soybean prices are up. They're both up, up for their own reasons. Similarly, if you look at corn, you know, 
conventional corn is up because conventional prices tend to fall with each other because you have acreage substitution. And then you have all the other things. If you look at organic corn, organic corn is a bit of an anathema right now. Uh, well, it appears that a lot of the reason why organic corn prices are at $11 per bushel is there's a lot of risk in the market. If you look at organic corn right now, from just a fundamental perspective in terms of organic corn supplies, you know, we have, uh, we're, we're, we're on pace to have uh, a record amount of organic corn in the United States. We, we have, you know, in terms of what we would normally anticipate for use, which is about 58 million bushels, uh, we're already beyond that. And we still have the rest of this marketing year that we'll continue to import. So we're going to have a lot of corn as carryover this year. And that's pretty much a given at this point. The reason that it appears that corn prices are staying elevated, despite the fact that we have heavy carryover, is number one, there is risk around this year's crop, right? There is the possibility that we will lose acres to soybeans and that the U.S. production will fall as a result. There's also a little bit of risk around yield. If you look at what's gone on with anhydrous fertilizer prices and uh, fertilizer prices in general in the conventional sector, that's bled into the organic sector. What's occurred is a lot of conventional farmers are now turning to manure to provide nitrogen for their corn crop. <laughs> well, that manure is pretty much the primary source of nitrogen for producing organic corn. Talking to organic growers, there's, I've had multiple conversations where there are growers who are either reducing application rates or afraid they're not going to be able to apply at all this year because they can't get manure supplies and manure prices are up. So there's, from a domestic perspective, there's risk of both yields and acres being off. So there's potential retraction in U.S. production. And then thinking about foreign markets, you know, a lot of those same things we talked about touch corn, you know, the ability of Turkey to send us crack corn because they ship us a lot of crack corn, the ability of Argentina to ship us corn if they have drought. Um, those things are important to U.S. supplies. So we're rolling out of this year with a lot of carryover stock, and there's a lot of people who are sitting on their hands right now when it comes to being willing to market their new crop corn because there is high soybean prices in the organic sector, and there is risk to supply. Uh, but that builds a lot of risk for next year too, right? If you roll out of this year with a heavy carryover and these factors don't occur or don't occur to a large degree, you know, you wind up with a situation that looks like 2019. If you can think back to what happened over the 2019 planting season, we were abysmally wet, you know, a little bit like this year. We're actually wetter. Uh, this year, I think we're just more cold. But we were abysmally wet, and that had some pretty substantial impacts on planting delays and acreage. And there was an anticipation that the U.S. corn crop was going to be much lower year over year. And built around that anticipation, there were there was heavy imports. We started importing a lot of corn, and there was a lot of protectionism around contracting the prices. Once we got to harvest, harvest was only down about one percent. It didn't fall as much as anticipated. And we had a lot of corn that got carried into the 1920 marketing year. Subsequently, prices sank to $6 a bushel. It took us almost two years to get corn back up to about $8.59 a bushel before we worked through that long position. It can happen. It has happened before. The market has overprepared for shortness that did not materialize and the market went long. <laughs> There's a lot of risk around supply, and that's leading to prices being elevated and people building carryover stocks. 
but risk isn't a certainty. And if those risks don't play out as anticipated, there's a chance this corn market goes very short next year. And that would reduce the margin between conventional and organic by itself. And it would increase the margin between organic beans and organic corn. All of these things are moving due to their own levers. They're related, but they're not linked. You know, this isn't a train. One doesn't pull one. They are their own individual beasts. They have their own realities and their own risks, and they're going to move in unique directions. And making your plans based around things going in the same direction is a pretty risky prospect right now, particularly given how many risk factors are in the market. Mm -hmm. So it seems to me, if I'm in the soybean market, there's probably not a lot of risk. I mean, there's just a shortage of soybeans. But in the corn market, there's a lot of risk, but not necessarily a shortage. Yeah, you know, if, to kind of put parameters around the risk within soybeans, we're very likely to see prices remain elevated, probably around above $30 per bushel for the next year to two. Uh, it's hard to come up with a reality in which we'll find enough oil seeds over the next two years to bring prices below that. The risk there is, does it go to 50? You know, if I lock in a contract right now for say $38 for new crop delivery, by December, it's 50, I've lost. So that's your risk. Um, they're profitable pretty much at any point, but it's a matter of how profitable. <laughs> right. Corn, on the other hand, it's very profitable right now. And there are reasons to think that corn prices will remain elevated, but there's a lot of downside risk. You know, I think the risks of corn going higher, you know, $12, $13 a bushel are pretty, pretty reduced. You know, we have a lot of corn and we've been very successful at sourcing corn and producing corn domestically. Will prices stay around the 10 to $11 per bushel range? You can make a very plausible case for that, for sure. Will they sink down to $7, $8, potentially less by the time we get to next winter? You could also make a very plausible case for that. So I, th I think when you look at corn, it's more of a downside risk situation. You know, whereas soybeans, if you look at that, it's more of an upside risk situation. So um, what can you share on wheat prices? You know, wheat is in a very challenging position, and it's really due to drought. We're in year two of what is a pretty substantial drought, not just here in the U.S., but in Canada as well. And, you know, if you kind of look at how wheat is handled, there, there's, you know, a lot of it's forward contracted. You know, if you are a flour producer, you need to forward contract that wheat because you need throughput. And then you do some spot in the middle to kind of make blending specs. But you know, if we look at what wheat did last year, you know, spring wheat and durum wheat, they were both pretty abysmal. We had a cut in yields, you know, spring wheat yields. We estimate organic spring wheat yields were down about 35% year over year. And durum wheat yields, I think, were down about 7% due to drought situations. Those droughts are still very much there. The one thing that kind of buoyed last year a little bit is wheat, uh, winter wheat yields were actually up a touch. Uh, and that's because this drought didn't really start setting in until we got into late winter, spring. And so a lot of your winter wheat had already set up and was doing okay before the drought got to its worst. And so we had a decent winter wheat crop. This year, that winter, same winter wheat crop is now facing the same drought that cut the spring and durum wheat production last year. So we don't, it doesn't appear that we'll have the buoy of winter wheat also being good or being uniquely good. It seems like it'll also potentially be worse. And so if we look at 
you know, the prospects right now, given weather and given drought conditions, you know, the quality of the wheat from what I understand last year was actually relatively decent. You know, dry grain tends to have a higher protein content. It was just, you know, $15 a bushel wheat isn't good to you if you don't have any of it to sell. <laughs> it's kind of what it comes down to. And so it's, uh, you know, that's, that's the biggest risk right there is, you know, we know that both us and Canada, you know, in places that are key organic wheat producing regions are continuing to experience some pretty substantial droughts. And with those, it seems very unlikely that we'll see a recovery in yields this year. You know, we've got a lot of this year left. Things can change in a hurry. Uh, but as they sit now, it seems like there is a lot of risk for U.S. organic wheat production to tighten further this year. And that's likely just to make the U.S. organic wheat situation more challenging. So, Ryan, we spent a lot of time talking about kind of the producers end, but what about the buyers end? Where, where are they in the organic world of using organic corn, beans, and wheat? It, do we see more use of these products? Are they stable? Are they going down? Yeah, you know, if you're looking at it from a feed operation perspective, it really is a very challenging thing to navigate right now. Um, you know, all those price risks that we talked about, that's really the question that they're trying to answer at this moment. If you think about it, the kind of the, the paradigm that you have to navigate is, do I eat short-term costs to hold on to long-term market share? You know, if this thing breaks after this year and commodity prices come back down and I'm back in a more profitable range, I'll eat the short-term loss. If this is a two or three-year situation, then it becomes a different situation because now those costs aren't short-term, they're long-term. And the industry really is in the moment of right now trying to ascertain what those risks are and what that price outlook is and trying to plan around it. You know, And even if you want to like take this conversation a step broader, beyond just feed costs, from a macroeconomic perspective, things are a little precarious in the U.S. and globally right now. We are in a period where inflation is escalating. It looks like it's likely to inflate, escalate over the next you know, year to two years. And you know, inflation has a reducing impact on incomes. It shrinks incomes in a real sense. And so organic goods, though they're at a, a reduced premium to what they were maybe you know, in 2009, the last time we had a recession, uh, they are still premium goods. And whenever you take a consumer's checkbook and you, you reduce the size of it, they have to make different purchasing decisions. And so they have to start considering things like potentially cutting premium goods out of their budget. Mm -hmm. And so it really is a question of, you know, what's the input side going to do? And what is the consumer demand side going to do? How much a higher fee cost can I pass on to consumers? How much can I eat internally? How long can I do that? You know. I don't have a real answer for your question because unfortunately the way the market is sitting right now, no one has great answers. It's just figuring out each piece of risk at a time and trying to do your best. But yeah, you know, they're, they're the feed operation side of this industry is very much trying to understand these different risks and try to plan around them. And, you know, it's, it's very feasible. If we see soybean prices say stay above $35, you know, the $35 to $40 per bushel range for the next year, you know, that translates into meal prices that are somewhere in the $16 to $1,700 per short time. 
that is a huge impact on turkey producers. You know, that's uh, nearly a doubling of their production cost. It's hard to imagine a scenario in which that doesn't either A, reduce inventories, or B, become higher prices, or C, both. And so in that context, that, that makes for some challenging conversations. There does seem to be a lot of risk in the market. So I don't know if you're willing to answer this, but if you had if you had a thousand acres, are you going all organic or are you going commercial or what are you going to do? You know, I still believe regardless of the short-term disturbances that we have within these markets, as a long-term prospect, organic is a good way to go. Um, if anything, you could probably make the case that despite the fact that conventional prices are higher, now's a good time to convert. If you think about the yield losses that you generally sustain going through the organic transition, those yield losses are going to be mitigated by higher conventional prices. Those acres will remain profitable because of higher conventional prices despite the yield loss. And so this actually in some ways makes it an easier period to transition into organic. Well, Ryan, so uh, I really appreciate you getting on today. Um, you are a wealth of information even though it can be confusing at times, right? But I really appreciate you getting on and just kind of talking about uh, where the markets are. If you had to put a two-minute synopsis on organic growers in the U.S., what are they looking at over the next year or two? What would you tell somebody sitting at a coffee table? You know, I am, I'm, I'm an economist, so I'm a numbers and spreadsheet guy. I don't have to make real world decisions. And I'm very thankful for that, given the current context of the market. <laughs> However, you know, I think right now, it's very easy to lock in profitability as an organic farmer. Um, commodity prices are good, and there are a lot of people who are interested in making poor contracting decisions uh, from a buyer side. Now making those decisions comes at the cost of future uh, liquidity with regard to your crop your ability to market it differently if the market turns out differently. You know, in situations like this, which are just fraught with risk, you know, a good strategy is always to lock in yourself, protect yourself against those risks to whatever degree you feel comfortable. And, you know, to whatever degree you're able to, you know, try to take advantage of whatever price swings occur within the market, you know, I, first and foremost, you know, protect yourself against the downside risks or, the, you know, because those can very quickly come in and disrupt your business uh, and, you know, leave yourself some room to maybe capitalize on upside risks if they materialize. Now, I, I always say that, you know, every organic farmers in general are very intelligent, small business people, and no one's going to know better than them what is the best strategy for production and marketing on their farm. And so they already know what decisions they need to make, and it's just a matter of going out and executing those decisions and making the best choices you can for your operation. Well, again, Ryan, thank you very much. Ryan Corey, Vice President of Economics for Macaris. Thanks for your insight. Thank you for listening to Organics Impact. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing and giving this show a five-star rating and review so we can continue to help organic growers improve their operations.